Hello and welcome to Conversations from the NF Podcast. In this episode, Susie shares her experience and journey to adoption with her husband. Susie has a physical disability and from the decision to proceed with the application, it has defined the process. Susie describes the challenges, both personal and professional, that they've overcome and how the skills and strength that they have as a couple influence the match that was made with their child. As always, if you've experience of adoption, fostering or special guardianship from any perspective, personal or professional, and would like to share that on the podcast, please get in touch through the Facebook or Twitter page, or you can email us at aandfpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Susie. Um, I am a foster carer to a toddler and have been for the last almost two years. And the hope at the moment is that we will be able to adopt, but um, that's taking a very long time because adopting during a pandemic is not much fun. Um, so at the moment, we, you know, we are foster carers, but we have always more seen ourselves as adopters. That was the original plan. And um, that should be the outcome. But obviously these things are complicated and they take time, much more time than we anticipated in the beginning. So it's an ongoing journey for us at the moment. So, so already you've kind of piqued my interest because you define yourself as an adopter, but you're a foster carer. So what brought you to that, the sort of the start line really with that? And what was your aspiration and where were you, where, how did you get there and where were you, where did you want to go? Sure. So way before we actually got to the point of applying for anything or doing anything, I would say a good two years, maybe more beforehand, we went along to an adoption interest evening event with our local authority. And at that point, I walked with one stick, um, my disability being related to a neurological condition, which I'll explain a bit more about in a little while. But um, I walked in with my husband using a stick. Yeah. And it was one of those events where there were sort of tables set up with information. And I would say probably from walking in and people turning around and looking, you could kind of tell there was, oh, this is going to be a bit awkward. Right. Um, and the, as it turned out, it absolutely was. Every conversation that we had, there were social workers there um, to introduce the concept of adopting and foster caring through a local authority who were all very pleasant and all very respectful, but all very realistic in yeah. their discussions with us, which was basically your disability is going to make this much more difficult. Your disability might mean that um, you're ruled out very quickly. Your disability might mean X, Y, Z. There was nothing positive in those conversations. Um, and we stayed and we talked for a while, but we both left with a general sense of this ain't for us. Yeah. Um, and we weren't devastated because we'd kind of gone into it with an open mind. It was something we thought we might explore. Um, people assume quite often because of my disability, oh, they, it's probably because they can't have children of their own. 
it's not actually the case. Um, we don't really know one way or another because we'd been together for maybe eight years before we even considered, you know, should we be having kids? <laughs> Is that something we want to do? And in the end, we kind of decided, now we're going to focus on careers first. Um, so as a result, at this stage, we are older in this process than perhaps we, you know, ideally would have liked to be. Um, but the general assumption from other people has been, oh, long history of illness and disability. No wonder they can't have kids and no wonder they're considering adoption. That's mm. not the case at all. Um, it was actually an active choice on our part to leave it. And especially after that initial meeting. Um, and to be honest, you know, I possibly should have been more outraged by that than, mm. than I was. <laughs> but I wasn't um, because generally I'd gone in with that assumption anyway. Who's going to want me as a parent? Yeah. Now, um, I'm going to say my attitude towards that has completely changed because it has had to. Um, but at that time, you know, disability and illness properly dents your self-esteem. And sometimes society makes things harder for you because we're a minority. And I've been through the whole gambit of that's not fair and raging at the world and how dare they be so rude and, you know, this, this isn't right, to have found my peace with it. And probably now I'm back to a sort of quiet stirring sometimes about mm. the injustice of any minority, actually, that society likes to apply. Um, but in the process of adoption and the process of foster caring, I would like to think we have challenged and broken some barriers. Um, we're unusual for a whole variety of reasons. Um, and our initial situation there with the local authority, as I described, completely put us off. Yeah. Um, and, and we didn't think again about it really until a couple of years later when we decided, actually, mm, if we're going to do this or even consider doing this, it has to be now. Don't want to be much older than we are. Yeah. Um, because obviously, as with any disability, age can make it more difficult. Yeah. So it's either now or it's not at all. Um, and when we would, we, as, as ever, these decisions and these conversations are had when you're away from home and you're on holiday and you've had a drink and you think it's a great idea. <laughs> um, so when we got home, we started to look at, you know, we decided we weren't going back to local authority because that didn't feel like, you know, even if they wanted us at that point, it didn't feel like the right approach. And we had a look around informally at adoption agencies. Um, there were some in Glasgow that we considered, but then thought actually don't feel like a good fit. And then we happened to come across um, one in Edinburgh that looked like a good fit purely because, and the thing that drew us in actually was the fact that they were openly seeking adopters and foster carers who were from the LGBTQ community. Now, that's not us, but it does demonstrate a degree of understanding around alternative approaches to adoption. 
and perhaps marginalised groups that wouldn't have been considered. So that was probably what drew us in, was actually this this is an open-minded adoption agency and maybe. As it turned out, when we got in touch just with the initial inquiry form and they sent out a social worker just to come and say hello and find out who we were and to have a talk with us, it emerged that there was a couple in our street who had adopted through the same adoption agency, completely by chance. We didn't know them, they didn't know us. We'd never met them before, or if we had, we didn't know them. Um, and that kind of sealed the deal with this this agency because we were kind of like, oh, right, okay. They were a same-sex couple and had had a very, very positive experience. Mm. Uh, our initial discussion with that social worker you know, she didn't. She didn't fudge around the fact that it is more difficult, and it will be yeah. more difficult. And there are considerations that will have to be taken into account. But it certainly wasn't a sense that we'd had before, which was of, yeah, this isn't for you. You probably won't manage this. This doesn't look right for you. It was more a case of bearing in mind there will be a medical there will be a lot of discussion around you know fitness and ability and you know all of that and it will come up and you will be expected to talk about it have a think about that which we did um and at the point where we decided okay we're going to try this we're going to apply I would say I was probably still in the mindset of and this this lingered for a very long time Chances are I'm going to get knocked back here, but it's worth a go. Um, and that, that feeling and that sense stayed with me through the whole thing. <laughs> sometimes, it, sometimes it still does. Sometimes I still can't believe that we got this far and this is what we're doing. Mm. Um, but I really, you know, in the process of working with a social worker and them sort of raking through all the different psyches and different parts of your life and the different things that affect you, um, it I, I had to find a turning point around self-esteem because I'd sort of... I hadn't really entirely processed the trauma of having been ill in the first place and I right. hadn't entirely processed the trauma of having a disability and what that meant in my life and the challenges that it brought because I'd always kind of gone into most things after having been ill with the attitude of I'm not, I'm not going to let this stop me yeah um and it turns out I haven't. <laughs> um, yeah. I have a full-time career. I'm married. I can drive a car. Um, and now, apparently, I'm absolutely suitable to care for a three-and-a-half-year-old. I mean, some people would debate around that, and it's got nothing to do with my disability. Um, actually, the things that make being a parent hard, completely unrelated to whether or not I'm physically able. Hmm. Um as I'm sure most people will agree, it's not necessarily the, the main issue that you end up thinking about on a day-to-day -day basis. But um, it has been challenging and it's taken a lot of work. 
but mm. I would say, you know, I'm now at a point where I can look at this process in hindsight and say, actually, there are no disabled parents. There are parents and some of them have disabilities and have to accommodate that. There are parents and some of them have mental health issues and have to accommodate that. There are parents and some of them face marginalisation and have to accommodate that. Whereas it used to define me, it doesn't define me now. Mm. Um, and that's taken a lot of work. That's the person that I've emerged out of that process. Um, so I've I've learned a lot about myself in this process, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think often talking to people who go through the process of being approved as a, either a foster care or adopter, they often talk in terms of it being a really a real revelation in relation to their own experience and having to reassess their own experience. Um, and it just sounds like that, that for you what was just sort of have, made you have to front up to issues that you were not ha running away from, but actually mm -hmm. there was no way through. You have these had to, to be, it was a path you had to walk. Absolutely. Um, and I, I guess I'd anticipated, you know, like working with a social worker for the whole of that, you know, sort of where they come out and they sit in your home once a week, yeah. once a fortnight. And essentially you, you're going into psychotherapy, you know, mm. where did it all begin? What were your <laughs> parents like? What do you think your parents style? What's your relationship like? Why don't you have a relationship with that person now? Tell me everything. And yeah. Tell me everything about your illness and your disability and your day-to-day -day life and how you function around it. I'd expected it, but I don't think I'd expected quite how in-depth you have to look at yourself. Mm. Um, and that applies to any anyone that's that's you know going through the process yeah. of working towards foster care or adoption. But actually it was more or less, you know, spoken about directly to us. We need to build a case for why your disability or your experience of life makes you a suitable adopter. Mm. And actually, ultimately, the reason that um, the, the child we have now and him being placed with us we were only ever, we were never on LinkMaker. We right. were never considered for any other children. We never inquired about any other children. We never went to any events. In the end, what happened for us was our social worker happened to have a conversation with another social worker where they were talking about, oh, I have this couple. It's been a really unusual journey. And guess what? One of them has this, this really interesting history and disability. Um, and the other social worker was like, oh, that sounds really like a, a child that I have currently. Right. That we haven't even really discussed about whether or not he should be put forward for adoption. Um, but it sounds like this is a match. You know, and they had yeah. that conversation completely out with any of our knowledge. Um, and then, you know, our social worker came and said, you know, I've got I've got an understanding of this this wee boy. Sounds a bit sounds a bit similar. Do you want do you want to talk about this? Mm. And that was it. 
as I say, no other child, no other parents really considered for him. It was just one of those things. Now, I'm not a spiritual person, but it, it you know, it was very odd how it happened. And, and it's hard to think that this wasn't meant for us. The stars aligned, however you want to frame that. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I take you back a little bit then, still thinking about your assessment? And I, I speaking to a few families recently who've been through the process, who've um, got, you know, who are questioning um, how are they going to get through the process because of their own disability. Did you have to bring in, did you have to do anything different to what uh, another family would have had to do, a family without a disability? Mm, yeah. I mean, I think obviously medical history always comes into the process when you're doing the home visits and you're doing the the, the work and the thinking about whether or not this is something that's right for you, whether or not you're you're capable of adopting. Um, I think, yeah, essentially we're encouraged to talk about what happened to you. Hmm. Now, that's never something that's phased me, actually. I've always talked, and I'm quite happy to, to talk about it here if that feels helpful in this process of conversation. Um. I was 19 when I fell really unwell with a neurological illness that at the time nobody really knew what it looked like. Um, and to cut a very, very long story short, I spent nine months in hospital. Um, for a large part of that nine months, I was deaf, I was blind, um, I was paralyzed below the waist. It happened very rapidly um, and very unusually. I hadn't been ill at any point before. Um, and, you know, to happen, to have that happen at the end of, you know, your teenage years yeah. is, is really difficult. Um, I left hospital in a wheelchair. Um, I had to give up my flat because it was up two flights of stairs. So I went back to live with my parents. Um I fully recovered my sight and my hearing, um, but I left on a huge, huge whack of medication. Mm. Um, it wasn't certain whether or not I would walk again medically. Personally, I knew I would because I wasn't going to do anything else. Um, months and months of physio and really the psychological side of it didn't really occur to me at that point. It was all focused on, I'm going to beat this. Yeah. I'm going to get past this. I, I can't be disabled. I'm I'm 20 years old. I can't do that. I want to get back to to my career, which before I was ill, um, I was a local journalist. And I was absolutely determined I was going to cure myself one way or another and I was going to walk again and everything would be fine. To some extent I did that. Um, but only through sheer bloody mindedness and absolute denial of what was happening yeah I, I did manage to go back to work it wasn't the work I'd done before in the end I found myself working in the third sector and I've never left there and generally it was a case of get through the physical stuff find a way to live find a way to live independently um get my life back and then deal with all the psychological stuff afterwards that didn't really come up until the home study. And they sort of, it um, seems like that they that put all a, happens. Yeah. 
they put sort of like a barrier. You, this is a, you've got to get through this. You've got to make sense of this. Um, mm. And was there a, were you, did you have to draw on references? Because, um, you know, obviously people who could probably offer a different insight because, you know, so one of the key things for social work is, you know, people self-report, I am this, I am this, prove it. Um, so did you have to draw in medical professionals, mm-hmm. family members, other people who were going, yeah, this is this is the prognosis, yeah. this is the limitations, or this is the strength, however that was. And was that difficult? Did people say what you wanted them to say? <laughs> <laughs> to some extent, um, yes, absolutely. The, you know, they brought in the medical aspect earlier on probably than would happen for other couples because obviously they didn't want to lead me down a path of let's do all this work yeah. if a medical ruled it out. Right. Um, and I went to my GP who, you know, basically <laughs> you go in and, and say, okay, can I, can I do this in 20 minutes? And then he had a look through my notes and he was like, let me just go and tell reception to cancel my next appointment um, because, you know, like yeah. the condition that I have is not, is not, um, it's not widely known. It's not widely understood. And I've gone to a hundred medical appointments where the physician sat in front of me has gone, oh, tell me about that then. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, it basically I had to go to my GP and he, he sat in front of me and he went, do you think you could do this? And I went, well, yeah, I wouldn't be coming to you and, and asking you to take an hour of your time to, and he went, well, I don't see any reason why I can't put you forward because I don't know enough about this condition to really say for certain. I mean, you work, you drive, you've got, you know, you appear all right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's no way of me determining what the prognosis is in the long term. So tell me what, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say that you're circumstances where you can you can go and tell your doctor what to write for an adoption assessment and I didn't I said uh, you know I want it to be honest from the start I need them to know what could happen in terms of my long-term fitness and disability and he was like are you sure I was like yeah because there's no point in lying about this yeah so my GP gave me uh you know like clearance medical clearance no reason why because if you, you know, what he said was, if you came to me and you told me that you were pregnant and you were having a child, I wouldn't be informing social services that you were a risk. Um, so, you know, yeah, sure. I didn't fully believe in that. So, they, you know, I then asked, you know, could, could you ask your medical person at the agency to have a look at it as well? Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it took a lot of... I think probably the person that needed most convincing was me. Well, as you were saying that, I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, you want, you sort of goes back right, right back to that beginning where you're talking about self-disqualifying and mm. believing that. There was a lot of, yeah. That the rug is going to be pulled. Of, um, yeah, yes, exactly. And, you know, I think mentally that's what I prepared myself for because you don't want the disappointment to be a complete shock. And you don't want to go down a route of thinking this is absolutely 100% going to happen mm. when there was every op- possibility that it wouldn't. What really didn't help 
because while you know like you go into an adoption process presenting your best self it's a bit like a job interview yeah you don't go into your job interview and say mm, sometimes i'm not very good at getting <laughs> up in the morning yeah. or so, sometimes you know like i just don't like doing work you know like you don't do that yeah i i didn't get the opportunity to hide anything and I think social workers, you know, have to tease things out. But I don't get the opportunity because you can see it. I walk with crutches. Um, and it really didn't help that in our um, first prep groups on the first day we were there. Now, this could have happened to anybody. But, of course, it happened to me was that, you know, we were in the sort of coffee room chatting to other couples, getting to know people and walking between sort of like the the training room and, you know, the communal room where we had coffee. <laughs> the the ground was a little bit uneven. Of course, I tripped and fell. Oh, that's... <laughs> yeah, you couldn't write it, could you? You can't, that's the no. worst possible situation. Yeah. And I could kind of see the look on my husband's face of like, well, that's done it. <laughs> um, and I was yeah. kind of like, you know, like I, I would, if it had been physical, po physically possible, I would have kicked myself. Um, and then people are picking me up, and of course, it's a big fuss. Oh, are you okay? Is everything all right? Are you hurt? Oh. Yeah. It it was just a tumble. It was not a big deal. But then, of course, that had to be written down somewhere, and then there had to be an interview and a discussion with the medical yeah. officer. And you know, what, is that because were you dizzy? Did you feel? <laughs> Oh. Were you stressed? No, it wasn't. I tripped. It, I tripped over a bit of ground and that's it. But I didn't have anywhere to hide with that. And, yeah. you know, like being vulnerable in a situation where you're trying to impress is not good. But actually, you know, it, it, at our um, panel meeting, the medical officer was called to be there. Yeah help the rest of the panel understand this looks bad but it's not or it doesn't have to be and it's not a barrier yeah and i really appreciated our agency doing that because our social worker um was very very clued up on disability rights and discrimination and you know after working with us for a while and getting to know us became pretty determined, no, this is going to happen. I am going to write the best possible report yeah. around why it's possible because apart from anything else, you come with, a, and, you know, I've not talked a lot about my, my husband here, you come with a fully fit and able-bodied partner. It's not like you're doing this on your own. Yeah. And, you know, you, you're working as a unit. There are two of you. Um, And towards the end, he was like, you know, like we've got, looking at it from a rights point of view, he has rights as well. Yeah. If he was applying as a single adopter, there would be no barriers there. What's mm. happening is that you've got a fully fit and able single adopter who happens to be married to somebody who has an understanding of chronic illness and disability and works in a child-centered field in a in an organization that's known all over the place to be child centered. I work for Childline. I suppose there is um, a case of them trying to you know trying to refocus away from just this one I say just this one issue 
but mm-hmm. um it seemed to be the defining issue but actually in doing that missing all of this other stuff that is really positive and appropriate and you know yeah you know, really good yeah it, it kind of we were lucky in that the social worker we had was very focused on the possibilities rather than the barriers mm. and really worked with us and encouraged us to build the case for this is not a problem. Yeah. Um, and at some points I really resented that. At other points I was kind of like, no, actually it is the right thing to do because what we're, we're, we're kind of setting a precedent here. It's very easy to look at somebody with a disability and say, that could be risky or that yeah. could be difficult or we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Well, we don't know what's going to happen in the future for anyone. Mm. And apart from anything else, disability is not self-selecting. It can happen to anybody in the blink of an eye. My husband could be disabled tomorrow. Yeah. Um, Anybody could. Do you know, it, it, unfortunately, these situations happen. I wasn't expecting it when it happened to me, and I'm sure nobody else anticipates it either. You yeah. don't expect that. But that's what happens in a lot of cases. There are a huge number of people with some form of disability all over the world who have children successfully, and everybody's okay. Yeah. Can I ask as well, then, I was just thinking about how have been what have been people's attitudes sort of not some from within that kind of that close-knit community but have you sort of experienced sort of prejudice or curiosity or just kind of unhelpful attitudes from sort of wider (laughs) perhaps wider family or you know acquaintances people who know oh you're adopting but how can you adopt sort of attitude some right um (laughs) more kind of do you know that there is something about having a child with you that draws people into your circle in a way that it wouldn't if you were just on your own. Yeah. So if I am in Tesco's on my own, walking with a set of crutches or with a set of crutches and a trolley, people might look and be a bit curious, but the majority of people are not going to say, what's wrong with you? Yeah. You do get it sometimes. If I, if I had a pound for every time I've been asked, oh, what have you done to yourself? Because people think, you know, I walk with crutches, so they think, well, maybe, I, I, you know, yeah, I broke accident, my leg. Yeah. Um, back in my more belligerent days, I made people endure the full story. Well, <laughs> funny you should ask. And then, you know, I bet you wish I hadn't asked now. Um People just, you know, are naturally curious, and I think that's okay. I'd rather somebody asked me rather than did the whole sort of awkward round the houses. How will I yeah. get to this subject? And you know, or maybe I'll just not talk to you at all. However, if you happen to be in Tesco, walking with a set of crutches and with your child in the trolley, ah. of course they engage with, you know, because because Iris just likes to talk to everybody. Um, they're engaging with the wee one and then you know like in the queue at Tesco's turn to me and go is he yours? <laughs> Whoa that's a wide ranging question. That's, that's a really odd question to ask anyone isn't it? Well it, it's, it's really rude 
I mean, you, no, you I'm know, stalling. Think it, if, <laughs> think it if you like, but you know, and I'm and, and kind of like, what, what, why'd you ask? Well, you know, like, you know, it must be, and then you know, uh, <laughs> and and what they were trying to say was, it looks like you would find this difficult. How can he you be yours? Um, not even taking into consideration, well, you know, a he doesn't belong to anybody. He's a human being, and also, you know, if you knew the full context, which I'm not going to share with you, yeah, actually, no, he's not mine, mine. Um, but you know, that's not what they were asking about. Yeah, that looks difficult. How did you manage that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's as I say, being yeah at this. What makes it a little bit more complicated is that, um, not to go too far into the details, but our child has a disability as well. And I kind of feel really strongly that from the earliest possible point, I want him to have an understanding of it is completely possible to live a life that looks just like everybody else's with an illness or a disability. Mm. However, it is more challenging and it is harder to to get to where you want to get to. And society doesn't mean that easy. And people seem to think that it's fair game to ask you about. Um, yeah. And that, that, you know, what I want him to see is me handling that in a positive, but also a fairly direct and firm way. Yeah, It's okay to be curious about what's happened here. It's not okay to pick my life apart <laughs> yeah. or to make assumptions or to, you know, discriminate or to make it harder. Um, it's, it, it's just my life and his life and our life. Hmm. And that's how it is. So, I mean, so, I mean, there's a whole raft of things that have, have happened, but you, you've now got a child with you. And, um, Obviously, you, you'd mentioned the whole matching process, which seems to be a, like a serendipity, however we want to describe it. But it seems that um, from a from a matching perspective, it seems that you've, you're in a position to offer him something that an able-bodied person, a perspective, an experience, and a role model that an able-bodied person just can't. And so it kind of it totally flips the, the narrative that, you know the, the that narrative of oh you're coming with a deficiency because actually yeah. you're you're coming with a strength aren't you i think the the words that kept coming up as we were for want of a better way to put it working with our social worker to build the case mm. for us being adopters and that includes not just my disability or my my history of illness that includes the full gambit of Everything else everybody has to consider, yeah. as in what was your childhood like, whether or not your parenting styles match or differ, whether or not you feel like you have the ability and financial stability, and all of those things that you have to consider in the process. Um, it it kind of, we, we built a case around why this is a positive thing. And I hadn't really expected a social worker to consider wanting to do that. 
I think I expected somebody to let's see how we can make this look as less of a problem as we can make it. Yeah. And what actually happened was let's make this look like the positive thing that it is and it could be. Because let's face it, you hear it all the time. The world of adoption doesn't always fully consider or explain to prospective adoptive parents or foster carer the essentially what is the reality of what affects the children who find themselves in a care system and placed for adoption. They will have some form of disability, trauma, difficulty, learning, you know, the the whole gambit of things that could prospectively happen. And when they present you with that menu of things, what would you consider? Is this okay? Is this okay? Down syndrome, blindness, Hmm. learning, you know, behavioral issues, mental health issues. We went through that list and could not, who anything other than would consider. Mm. Because if I if I had even considered putting no, what am I saying about myself? Yeah. You know, what am I saying about, you know, like if if this was somebody, and this is essentially what we did, if this was an, ado- an adoption agency choosing me, would they consider somebody with a physical disability? Would they consider somebody with a neurological condition? That's what we had to rely on, and I couldn't hand on a heart have said no to anything. Hmm. That said, there are considerations. Um, and when we were talking about age groups for for children, we consider two different things. We considered a very, very young child, not because necessarily a very, very young child is easier but a very, very young child would have the chance to adapt to a parent who is differently abled. Yeah. We also considered a much older child because the physicality of having a child was less of a consideration there. Yeah. Um, and again, couldn't hand on heart say no to either. Or yes to either. Actually, it wasn't really our choice at that point. But... It has to be an additional consideration. When it came to actually considering being matched at that time with a very young child, toddler, what our social worker asked me to do was to write down on a minute-by-minute basis how I would handle a day with a baby, with a one-year-old, with a toddler. And I mean minute by minute. <laughs> Wake up. How and and you know, like if I put would pick them up, describe how you're gonna pick them up. What are you gonna to do to make that situation safe? What equipment would you use? How would you, you know, what help would you ask from, you know, your husband? Minute by minute. <laughs> and that's quite <laughs> that a level a bit, of scrutiny for you. Yeah. Yeah. And and initially I was just I was kinda of like, really? But what he was doing in a roundabout way is I want to demonstrate to panel that you have considered absolutely everything that could go wrong and what you would do to prevent. So if it's a baby, I'm not picking them up, standing up, 
because my balance isn't great, I'm going to pick them up sitting down from a cot and put them into a pram. And then I'm going to use the pram to move them from the bedroom to the sitting room. And it, you know, and it, yeah. it really forced me to consider all the limitations of my ability and how that would impact a child. Yeah. In reality, that full piece of writing was a really good thing to do because A, it made me consider, look at how physical all that is. Yeah. And how tiring that would be. And helped us to work out how we would manage that. And to reach a decision whereby, you know, like my husband would be the stay-at-home parent for the majority of the time. I would go and work full-time because I have that job and, and you know, that yeah. doesn't rely on my physicality. And it made sense to do it that way. It helped us to reach decisions about what was the, the best way to handle it. And again, at panel, they were very happy with that. Um, possibly didn't need the level of detail that yeah. they got. But it was it was really, I suppose, liberating for, for me and, and my husband to consider, you know, could we do this and what does it look like and how will we do it? Yeah, it makes it, and it sort of increases your level of, uh, in, gives you an informed decision about what you're getting yourself into as well and go, well, actually, is this, yeah. you know, how exhausting is this going to be? Is this what I want to do? Mm. And obviously the answer was yes. Um, so tell us where I you are now. Tell us where, you know, it's, <laughs> you said you're an, a foster carer who's adopting. Mm-hmm. It's not, not where yeah. we started the story. <laughs> no. Um, they added... Impact of a pandemic on adoption right. or a process to adoption or foster caring. Um, it, it's been a really roundabout process from the beginning because, like I mentioned earlier, he wasn't initially considered for adoption. hadn't even got to that point. He was he was already in another foster placement, and there was no reason to consider moving him out of that until they realised that the match worked. And yeah. that this was a very good opportunity. But what happened was it, it really impacted the legality and process and everything that goes with that. And then pandemic, where right. you can't actually physically go and stand next to somebody to talk to them about it. And you have to do everything through a screen. Um, and at the point where ordinarily it would have been, okay, we're now at a point where we can consider how we are going to manage that week between you going and meeting your child in another foster placement and then coming to your home with the support of those foster carers. That's much more difficult when you can't, you're you're not meant to be within two metres of anybody. Yeah. and that happened right bang at that point in the pandemic where nobody really knew what it looked like. And, you know, there wasn't even the ability to test every day and all of that. In the end, we just decided we're going to get on with it. And more or less, we were in their house for most of the week and then they were in ours and we just worked as a bubble. Yeah. Um, but there were no social workers involved. We didn't have any of that, you know, sort of physical support in the room. 
Now, some people have suggested, well, that must have been helpful to you because then you, the social worker wasn't watching what you were doing and whether or not it was safe. Actually, that's true, but we're not those people. Yeah. <laughs> if it had felt unsafe or that we weren't coping, we would have been asking for help because, mm. you know, um, the impact of n not being able to be physically next to people in that situation um, and not being able to go out and meet other adopters or to build the support network in the way that we thought we would or to have family and friends around and involved in the way that we hoped we would um, that was really really difficult and that yeah. completely sits outside whether or not I had a disability I think that must have been difficult for anybody in that position at that time um, the circumstances were of what they were in the world and we couldn't do anything about that. Mm. But all of that has had, you know, as we come out of the other side of that, to whatever extent we are, um, court processes held up, uh, legalities are held up, our social worker has changed more than once or, you know, like we haven't had a social worker for a period of time for our we one because they're really pressured as well and sort of the system there sort of fell apart for them there's a lot of illness there was a lot of periods of times of absence so to be fair we've not had a lot of interaction with social work but I think that's probably understandable in a pandemic it's been hard for us yeah um and seeking help in that situation is difficult because it all has to be done through a screen. Mm. And actually what I really would have liked was to be able to sit in a group of people and, and say, tell me how I deal with the practicalities of a sick child. Tell yeah. me about, you know, how you deal with the anxiety of that happening, how you deal about the anxiety of your child catching COVID. You know, all of those things that I really felt a community had nothing to do with being physically <laughs> able or otherwise. But just that those human interactions, that that just that community that yeah. you need to, like every like every new family, they need community. It's kind of, yeah, yeah. When it uh, works best, takes, isn't it? well, it, you know, it's the the old cliche: it takes a village. Yeah. It actually does, <laughs> and yeah. I always thought of that as a cliche. It, no, it does. You, if nothing else, not necessarily because I was, I was in need of somebody to physically help me because my husband's there, as I say, we're a union. And actually, we were blessed with a child who has not actually needed a lot of hands-on physical support. Yeah. But it could have been different. We didn't know that. Um, but the, the biggest impact, I think, of adopting or attempting to adopt at this point in time is just lack of access to people you can look in the face mm. and say, what's this about? Yeah. <laughs> or um, why why is it like this? Or mm. what if this happens? Um, as I say, the, the fact that we've, we've got to this point and we've managed this point absolutely completely comes down to the fact that we have a child that, is unbelievably resilient and tolerant and possibly even too tolerant 
of change yeah. and not really having a lot of access to other people. And generally, we all just had to be together and work it out. And he, yeah. and he coped with that incredibly well. He had absolutely every opportunity to be allowed to express discontent and just wouldn't. <laughs> just, you know, it, it was so easygoing and so tolerant of us getting to know him and how to cope with a child. It sounds like you've, as a, all three of you have been on an, an incredible journey, really, and uh, lots of unique experiences with COVID, but also, you know, sort of negotiating, getting approved with all the the additional hoops and hurdles put in place. Um, mm -hmm. I guess my sort of perhaps my final question is, if people were thinking of adopting or fostering, and they consider themselves to have a disability uh, or have additional or, or complications or just were unique or outside of the kind of, you know, the, the perceived norm. I say that in inverted commas. Um, what advice would you give them as they sort of stepped forwards to, to find out? I think probably the most defining thing I have picked up out of all of it is the need to psychologically be in a place where you can see your disability for what it is. And I, you know, just through the experiences that I've had, the time that I've spent in hospital, having met other people with disabilities and illnesses and challenges of any description, brought about by ill health mm. um, is that there are a whole range of things that can happen and I think I've probably visited all of them at one point or another that absolute outrage that this has happened to you that absolute outrage why do bad things happen to good people well the answer is do bad things happen to anybody yeah. um, why why is it like this for me why is it so difficult why do I have to you know and, and that absolute rage and outrage and then that sort of finding your peace with it and all of that consider I think before you enter into the process of adoption consider more about how you feel and think and perceive yourself and what you what you are limited by or what you are challenged by and consider if you are psychologically ready to be in a place where somebody's going to come and pull all of that apart and mm. ask you about it and potentially push you to tell them why that's not a barrier. Somebody's going to come and look at it and say, oh, that looks challenging. What are you going to do about that? You have to be prepared in your head to not be defensive about that because, let's face it, it's unfair. You know, yeah. it's unfair that you have these additional barriers. and But actually, that's true of absolutely everything. When you have something that challenges you, like a disability, um, getting a job is more difficult. Learning to drive is more difficult. 
coping with a pandemic, definitely more difficult. All of these things, these situations that may be difficult, whether you were able-bodied or not, are a little bit more challenging when you have to pull them apart and explain them to a social worker and then consider how they're going to impact a child. And ultimately, that's what it is. It's about how it impacts the child and whether or not you can frame it as something that would be positive. In our case, it has been because he gets to see his mum living with a disability, getting up every morning, driving our car with our hands, not our feet, um, to a full-time job in a management position that actually never looked achievable or possible. That's a positive thing. Mm. And it's, it's, it's absolutely the reason for our match is because somebody said that that, that adult is going to be an excellent advocate for a child that looks and experiences the world just like she does. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it's a positive, it has been a positive, but you have to start from a position where you see it as a positive and that's not easy. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, there's a lot to unpick there for people, isn't it? And, um, I think that's, uh, it's quite a sobering thought really for, uh, to come to, um, Susie, it's been fantastic to talk to you and really shine a light into kind of a, a different route into parenthood and a different experience that a lot of, you know, a lot of people go through adoption process and go, oh, it's really hard. But I think that you've kind of, you've walked a similar, but very much, a much more challenging path. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And um, I wish you well in the future. Thank you.